0: informing america's farmers and ranchers it's adams on agriculture produced by the american ag radio network here's your
1: host mike adams and hello everyone welcome to adams on agriculture thank you for joining us hope you're having a good day thanks for letting us be a part of it lots going on today expected that the president will make his e15 announcement probably This afternoon in Washington, D.C., and then be off to Iowa to uh, hit the uh, campaign trail. And no doubt uh, this announcement has uh, a lot of political ramifications, and we'll be hearing a lot about that. We'll talk more about the E-15 announcement uh, much more in detail tomorrow here on Adams on Agriculture. Uh, Coming up today, we're going to talk a lot about trade. We'll talk with Sean Haney from Real Agriculture uh, in uh, Canada, get the Canadian perspective on the new trade deal with Mexico, U.S., and Canada, and we'll talk with Dave Sam- Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation, get his overview of the deal and what he sees happening now with China, and look at Japan some as well, and then we'll take a look at market reaction to all this. Steve Nicholson with Bravo will join us a little bit later on in the program as well. But let's start things off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for being with us and Um, after a trade deal announced with Canada and Mexico. Now it looks like an E15 announcement today. Uh, Certainly uh, some um, more positive news as of late for agriculture on these fronts.
2: Uh, Yes, I would say that that's uh, more positive. Uh, uh, But there are a couple of things about the E15 announcements that I find intriguing. Uh, First of all, when it was announced at the White House uh, yesterday, we had a, it wasn't announced, but we had a a briefing for reporters. Uh, I was interested that the senior administration official said that the president had directed the EPA administrator to do this. Uh, That both gave Trump some credit, uh, but it also looked to me like they had to tell EPA to do this, that they were a bit reluctant to do it. The second thing that intrigues me about this is it's the beginning of a rulemaking process. It isn't an announcement now that E15 is going to be sold. So I think this is still going to be a months long battle over the rulemaking with comments coming in both on the E15 and on the making any changes to how the re, uh, renewable identification numbers are managed. So this is the beginning of another battle, not the end of it.
1: That's a good point. It is a a process they have to go through. Now, they have some time because it really doesn't uh, change things until next summer, but you're right, these things can drag out, so you have to to watch for that. Also interesting, as you pointed out, that he directed EPA to start this, uh, which begs the question that I've asked and many others have asked for some time, why didn't he uh, direct EPA to do this sooner?
2: Well, that's a question, uh, and apparently the issue is the conflict between the renewable fuels industry and the oil industry. Uh, we ha- you, know, you can just see this. You get these letters that are going back and not going back and forth. They're going from Congress to the White House to EPA, and you get one letter, and it's a group from the corn-producing states, the senators from there, and then you get another letter, and it's from the oil-producing states and the oil-refining states and so you know the last one in which they were really kind of opposing this uh... was from the oil producing and refining states and that was twenty senators on there so you can see how close the battle is over this over this e fifteen even though it's likely to be a fairly small percentage of the market since these stations have to become equipped to uh, to handle it uh... uh so as I said, I still think it's a. I think it's a battle that'll be keep that'll keep go keep going for uh, ne- until next spring when they have to release these rules before the driving season begins.
1: But no doubt the timing of the announcement uh, uh, is makes an impact when you're going to a state like Iowa and the uh, the elections coming up. So that no doubt played a part in this. We're talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, let's talk about trade. We'll start with the U.S., Mexico, Canada deal which um, for most of agriculture seems to fit that do no harm hopefully some improvements for dairy but uh, what are your thoughts on this getting passed in congress i mean we 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 see what happened with the supreme court i mean there's just such a feeling there by many members of congress they wouldn't want to agree to anything that the president brings to them how they going to get this passed
2: well you know i'm a sort of of a different opinion on this uh, people keep saying that the democrats are going to aren't going to want to pass anything that the president has come up with but in fact you could get the labor unions behind this if they think it is an improvement uh, in terms of manufacturing and if that happens then i think you get a lot of, of democratic support and i don't really see any republican opposition on this there are some business interests that don't like some of the provisions they say that it won't be as good for business that the that the um, uh, rules on bringing lawsuits, et cetera, will uh, will make it uh, not as good for business. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that hard, although Senator Grassley thinks that that if the Democrats take control of Congress, they might try to pass it this year. Uh, Senator Cornyn, I think it is from Texas, says, no, no, that's not going to happen. So we'll just have to see what happens in the lame duck session.
1: Yeah, we'll watch and see what the labor unions have to say. As you, as you point out, that could be a real key in moving this forward. Now, let's talk about China. That looks to be still a long-term situation. I know that you're concerned about long-term damage being done by this.
2: Yes, yes, I am. Um, I really felt like I uh, experienced a bath of cold water last week when I went to this Atlantic Festival. Uh, event at which these China experts talked about the long-term problems with China. And I really think this is a long-term issue, and it isn't as simple a matter as wanting to shore up the U.S. manufacturing sector, the steel and the autos. It It is a much bigger conflict about China's role in the world and how much the United States wants to help China build up Of course, in the past, everybody always said China has to get richer in order to buy American products, including soybeans, to feed the animals so that there will be meat for the Chinese to eat. Now we have a pullback on this idea, concern about China. Uh, So I think this could be a very long-term thing. And when I see the reports of this big soybean uh, uh, crop this year, I wonder where are all those soybeans going to go?
1: You know, I had a, an analyst uh, point out something uh, to me a few days ago said, look at that Russian grain embargo. All these years later, there's still an impact from that. It rearranged a lot of things. This could have similar long-range impact as well.
2: Indeed, I believe so. And I've had both Agriculture Secretary Perdue and Senator Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota have said within the last two weeks, that the soybean industry became too dependent on China as, it, as its market. Uh, and so the question is, can they find other markets? But there's no other market as big as China that is, is in need of these products. So I wonder I also wonder if you know we're going to see some changes in what American farmers grow if there isn't going to be that much sale of soybeans. One of the issues is that apparently the Chinese are now reducing the percentage of soybeans in the in the animal feed, and if that if they decide that that works well, that's sort of that's an, almost a permanent reduction in the amount of soybeans they need.
1: Yeah, we'll see how this all plays out, but it looks like it's going to be a we need to look long term on this one. All right, Jerry, always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us.
2: Always good to talk to you, Monk. See you soon.
1: Take care, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, Sean Haney host of the Real Agriculture radio program out of Canada. We'll get his thoughts on the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada deal. That's next on AOA,
3: Adams on Agriculture.
4: We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way.
5: 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help. America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home. But with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button.
6: I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that.
5: Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to
1: know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams usmca take a little while to get used to that doesn't quite roll off the tongue as easily as NAFTA, but we're used to NAFTA, I guess we'll get used to USMCA, but are they going to get used to it in Canada? Let's talk about that with Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture out of Canada. Sean, thanks for joining us. Uh, What's the reaction? How's the New Deal playing in Canada?
7: Hey, Mike, great to be with you here this morning. It's it's kind of interesting to follow it all. We we really have two groups, so We have all the agricultural commodity groups that are export-oriented. So, you know, beef, pork, cereals, they they love the deal. They love the fact that really no harm was really done. They're still going to have the opportunity to access the U.S. market, of course. So much of those products go back and forth. We've got the supply chain so integrated. Uh, We've talked about that a lot. The group, of course, that won't surprise you, that is really upset, is, of course, the supply-managed sector, specifically dairy. Although eggs and poultry gave up, you could maybe argue, more in the deal. Uh, the dairy people are very, very upset. They, they feel that this is the third time. They gave, they comp, they compensated on the CETA agreement. They compensated on the TPP. And now they're going again for the hat-trick. There's a hockey term for you. Going for the hat-trick with the USMCA. And not only that, but also the extinguishment of... Uh, the class seven pricing system is is the one that I think they're feeling has hit them the hardest.
1: Were you surprised at the deal, especially from the dairy perspective?
7: I I think that we knew all along they were going to have to give up market access. And I, I think most of the speculation before, before the deal was closed, that it would have to be a number on the market access slightly above the TPP. And that happened at 3.59%. Uh, I I will admit I was surprised they convinced Canada to go all in on getting rid of Class Seven. Uh, some people think up here it was it was a it was a mistake made by the dairy lobby. They they talked so much about protecting supply management, they didn't do a, a good enough job explaining to government that Class Seven was an integral part of that. So the government now is saying, hey, we protected supply management it's still here. What are you talking about? We protected it. Although the dairy people are saying giving up class 7 really does put a full cap entirely on the industry going forward. And a lot of people talking very negatively. But the reality is, Mike, after TPP, after CETA, we saw some of the similar sort of the the world is caving in kind of reaction.
1: Hmm. Now, when you have a deal, then you have to go back and sell it to in your own country and sell it to the powers that be that have to pass it. Uh, so you have to bring it back to your country and show that you were a winner. Uh, can they do that in Canada? Can they sell it as a win for Canada?
7: Well, uh, I, I would hate to say that we would have a harder time passing it than anything that has to go through Congress. But th- there is going to be some some challenges in the fact the Class Seven pricing was provincially administered, so. We're, we're going to see the provinces put up a stink, but will it hold it up? I, I don't. I really don't think so. The federal government has some major challenges right now with some of the provinces. Trans pipeline is an example. The federal carbon tax is trying to implement before the end of the year. I, I think that some of the premiers are going to to squawk and scream and you know bounce their fists on the table. But at the end of the day, it's it's going to happen because Canada knows they need this agreement.
1: We're talking with Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture out of Canada. I was going to ask you, Sean, did the fact that it looked like the U.S. and Mexico were ready to go ahead uh, with a bilateral, did that put the pressure on Canada that got the deal done?
7: I I think so, no doubt. I, I think a part of Canada's strategy from the very beginning, Mike, was that, they lobbied Congress, and, and that made the Trump administration very, very upset. They, you know, that, that, that was what created and enabled the whole Peter Navarro statement on Fox News that Sunday where he said you know, there was a special place for the Canadian Prime Minister. So I, I really think Canada was in a position where they were relying maybe too much on Congress to do the negotiating with the White House and really keeping their fingers crossed that Congress was going to be the one that would keep Canada in the trilateral. At the end of the day, I I think Canada, you could say, did cave on some issues. But quite frankly, the U.S. did too. Canada's really line in the sand was Chapter 19. Canada wanted some trade rules, uh, specifically based right now on how the, the White House looks at trade. And Canada got it. So did they give up more in dairy? Yes. Did they get what they wanted in auto? Quite frankly, yes. So auto looks like a winner. They got to keep Chapter 19. And, and dairy could be looked upon definitely as, as as the loser. Were they pressured into it? Yeah, but they got the deal they, they wanted. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And, well, you know, in any trade deal, there are going to be some winners and losers. And, uh, uh, you know, agriculture had taken the position here in the U.S., do no harm. And, I, you know, I think for the most part they feel no harm was done. So that's a sigh of relief. And for dairy, while they don't feel they got everything, they, they got – they got quite a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how it yeah. plays here in Congress. We were just talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom report. He said, well, the key to getting it passed will be the labor unions. And if they're behind it, uh, there's a good chance it will get through Congress. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward.
7: Yeah. And, and you know what? I think with the big thing here, and we, we've heard this out of the U.S. dairy industry, we got to get these Section 232s li- lifted. Like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, now if we're going to really be this trading block that's going to work against China, uh, altogether, the three of us. Then we need to get these steel and aluminum tariffs lifted so we yeah. can move on and move forward. And the president so far hasn't shown much willingness to to do that, which is, I think, uh, d- definitely a, a a real concern. And you know, the, from the U.S. dairy perspective, Mike, what did they really, really get? You know, so Canada isn't. You know, Canada is a very, very small dairy producing country. There was skim proteins being put onto the global market. That was a viable complaint from the U.S. side. But from a market access standpoint, 3.59%. It's it's not going to solve some of the U.S. supply issues, but it is from the U.S. perspective, it is a step in the right direction. It, it is an additional market for product to be moved to.
1: Well, we know the U.S. still has some issues, big issues with China. Uh, there's some hope with some talks with uh, Japan. Uh, so that's kind of the focus now. What is, where does Canada go from here? What where? where or are you focused when it comes to trade after the USMCA is passed?
7: Well, absolutely ratifying the CPTPP, the new version of the Trans Pacific Partnership, TPP 11, so to speak. That, that, that is the number one focus right now. If, if we learned anything through all of this in the last year, is that trade diversification is good. The US is still and always will be a very, very important market to Canada. But now more than ever, making sure that Canada is in that original six and that TPP eleven really, really will be the focus. Uh, There was talk about Canada pursuing, you know, being the first G seven nation to pursue official bilateral trade talks with China. That didn't go very well last year because of some of the, the progressive agenda items that Canada was seeking in in that deal. And of course, there is some of this text in the new USMCA that talks about parties having to notify each other if they're going to do a trade deal with a non-market economy. So I would say free trade with China is definitely on the back burner for Canada, but uh, the CPTPP will be the number one focus.
1: Absolutely. Looks like like USMCA will be voted on in the new Congress here, although there's some talk depending on how the elections go that could get moved up to the lame duck, but that doesn't seem as likely. So probably early next year. What's the timetable in Canada for a vote?
7: You know, good question. That that has not really been put out whatsoever. Um, th- that timeline really has not at all been established. Interesting note, though, is that we, we've got a federal election in 2019, so you, you can bet that the federal liberals will want to have a vote uh, before that election. They have talked about a spring election, but I, I would think, uh, without sort of, I'm just guessing here, but probably shortly after, after the new year, I would think
1: all of this there's always the backdrop of politics right an election coming up always influences all this right
7: oh too much isn't it isn't that the case like we just can't nothing can be looked at just like uh with a straight line it's always about how it impacts the politics uh, of the day that's true in the u.s and and you know what honestly it's no different in canada europe or or anywhere else It, it really does factor into it you know, and it's interesting. You know, I speak to audiences; it's always amazing, and how politically in tune farmers are with the politics of the day because they just know that their business relies on it so much. It's, you know, look at, look what's happening today with the E15. You know, that's a yep. big that's a big political move forward for the Canadian or sorry for the U.S. Uh, ethanol lobby for sure.
1: Yep, it has a lot of political ramification. It's something, as you say, uh, about all countries have in common, it would seem. Sean, good to talk with you again. Take care.
7: Hey, Mike, always great to chat and enjoy the rest of the baseball playoffs,
1: okay? All right, thanks. You too. Sean Haney from uh, Real Agriculture in uh, in Canada does a great job covering agriculture, not just in Canada, but all over. And uh, interesting to get the Canadian perspective on the new USMCA deal. We'll talk more about trade with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation, his analysis uh, of that deal and what's happening with uh, China and how hopeful are we for a deal with Japan. All that coming up next on AOA,
3: Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way, with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new, and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more
0: information. Thanks for listening Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we are mixed as traders prepare for Thursday's USDA World Agricultural Supply and Demand numbers, new crop production numbers, traders watching the weather maps, there's rain stretching from Texas to Wisconsin on this Tuesday morning. Rain and snow on the radar in North Dakota, some patches in South Dakota. In corn, we're trending a fraction lower. There's a stiff wall of resistance on the December contract at 369 to 369 and three quarters on the charts. On the downside, Friday's low at 363 is key nearby support. In soybean futures, trending three to four lower an hour into the day. 8.74 and three-quarters, acting as nearby resistance on November. On the downside, Friday's low at 8.51 and a half remains nearby support. As long as that holds, the bean bulls remain in control of the short-term trend, according to the Wire Talk. In the wheats, we're trending 3 to 4 higher. In Chicago and Kansas City, Minneapolis spring wheat trending 5 to 6 cents higher. Midwest weather forecast calling for moderate to heavy rain on tuesday lingering rain on wednesday dry weather thursday in the eastern corn belt scattered light showers on tuesday northern plains episodes of light precipitation tuesday and wednesday not conducive to harvest activity in live cattle futures were fifty seven to a dollar fifteen lower dollar five to a dollar twenty five lower in feeder cattle cash cattle activity sluggish so far this week Lean hog futures, $20 to $1.65 lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson.
5: Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount and with bottles starting at $4,995 there will never be a better time to own a thermospas hot tub so call now and ask about this limited time offer call thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure that's 800-991-5852 Thermos Boss, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800 991 5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: let's continue our trade talk as we are joined by Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. USMCA, who won?
6: Well, I think uh, all parties can say they did, and I think if you were looking for a continuation of the kind of market access that uh, all the countries have with each other, you can say everybody won. With some changes. Uh, in a variety of different sectors, autos, several ag sectors, others, but uh, we wanted the uh, NAFTA now, when it all passes, the renamed USMCA, to continue to continue to have that tariff-free access with Mexico, mostly tariff-free access with some exceptions to Canada, and uh, that goes forward. So uh, we'll we'll chalk that down as a win.
1: Dairy was a huge sticking point. How big a concession did Canada make?
6: Well, Canada did a couple different things, and not uh, unusual for them in trade negotiations. They hold out to the end. Uh, We've seen that many times before. And they did two things. One, they got some more access uh, on all the various products where we have a quota with Canada, tariff rate quotas. So right now we send in a little over $600 million a year. They're going to take in more of a variety of products. Not specific yet on numbers, but some more increases there. So that's some it's some good access, some more trade there. They got a little bit of more access with some products here into uh, the U.S. market, mostly processed food products. So a positive there. Um, also, there was that Class Seven pricing scheme that Canada put in a couple summers ago. In order to undercut the price and basically to stop uh, exports, which some of our dairy co-ops had been doing, primarily from New York and Wisconsin, of an ultra-filtered milk product for their cheesemakers, um, they did undercut that price. That market went away for our exporters of that, and um, that's going to go away. So that Class Seven pricing scheme is going away. There is a substitute thing in there to deal with. That was uh, the milk products that were substitute that were subject to that class. And in a sense, we have to see how all that's going to work out. But we hope there'll be, um, and there should be, new markets for, uh, for our uh, producers into Canada of that product. So, again, this is um, some of it is uh, still in the broad language that we're looking to get more details on. And, of course, we have to look forward to this uh, being signed by November 30th uh, by all three, the two presidents and the Prime Minister of Canada. And then be submitted to Congress and uh, have them work on it um, hopefully early, earlier rather than later next year.
1: And we do not know what Congress will look – the Congress that will be voting on this, we don't know the makeup of that Congress yet. We'll, we'll find that out here soon.
6: Yeah, we will, and that certainly can, uh, can make a change. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, who was with and who was against NAFTA and changes in NAFTA and all that, but now we have a uh, – A concrete um, text, you might say, in front of everybody to consider. There is some required reporting that has to go on before this can be considered by Congress. The International Trade Commission does a very exhaustive report of the impact of all the changes uh, to NAFTA, and that will be uh, influential with Congress. And then we'll have to see if, the, if there is change in leadership. We don't know that, of course. We'll know that in several weeks. But uh, how they're going to view this and uh, how all that will be presented. But it does have its own set of procedures that are set in the law that, you know, it has to go to uh, be signed. Then it has to have these reports. And then after these reports are done and they at least to the fullest extent of time, not meaning they have to take this, but it takes several months to get all the review reports done, then the uh, administration, at their own time frame, there's no time pushing this. This is when the administration wants to send up the, uh, the piece of legislation that Congress will work on. And since it is subject to these trade law procedures under uh, the, old, the old Trade Promotion Authority law, it's an up-or-down vote without amendment. So, again, this could be happening sometime next spring.
1: We're talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, we still have these lingering tariff issues, though.
6: Yes, there are issues within U.S.M.C.A. that continue. Um, not all of those it isn't, didn't go completely uh, tariff-free, but we just had more access, if you're still talking about the, especially with Canada. Um, we also got a provision in there that we've been pushing for. I know a lot of people in the Northern Plains had on wheat trade with Canada. Uh, seems they had uh, basically been just automatically marking down any U.S. wheat that went into Canada from premium grade to feed grade. And now that's supposed to end, and all imported wheat will be treated the same as domestic wheat. So uh, there is a, there are positives, but there, uh, the uh, Canadian system of supply management still continues.
1: Let's turn our attention now to China. This sure looks like it could take a long time uh, before it gets worked out. What do you think?
6: Well, certainly according to some of the uh, actions the administration is taking, uh, continually ramping up tariffs, talking about new ones, Remember, we're at about over two tariffs on over two hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of Chinese imports. We do import over five hundred billion a year from China, so potentially the administration could put on more tariffs on imports. China retaliates. Um, you know, mo- almost all of U.S. ag exports to China have some kind of retaliatory tariff uh, on them now, uh, which is having its impacts. But this looks like it uh, may continue. We don't see any real indications yet of the two parties coming together to work on the underlying issues of steel overproduction, forced technology transfer, how uh, China deals with U.S. uh, intellectual property, whether it's computer software, movies, all those things. So and lots of other regional tensions in the area we hear periodically and seems more and more lately about what's going on in the South China Sea with uh, China's military expansion there. So lots of issues going on between the, uh, between the two countries, and tariffs seem to be a part of it that um, will be with us for a while.
1: I made this point earlier, but if you look back to the Russian grain embargo, for those of us who remember that, I mean, that was many years ago, what some thirty over thirty years ago, but you could you can see how it is still impacting things today. I mean, it, it shifted things, it changed the landscape, so you could say it had an impact all these years later. Could what we're going through with China have similar long-term implications, ramifications, uh, moving forward?
6: Well, I think there's two things. Look, overall, you just have to think of how much more our economy and China's are. Tied together, work together. Certainly, we have a uh, lot of U.S. companies there uh, doing business, manufacturing, selling things to Chinese, uh, manufacturing in China to sell to the U.S. and around the world. So our economies have become very, uh, went away very close. We never had that, of course, with the Soviet Union. You know, we sold them a few things such as grain there. But we never had that much economic, direct economic interaction with the Soviet Union. And secondly, in the uh, ag arena, we, had, we all remember the grain embargo and how that uh, helped spur production in other parts of the world. We think of South America, Brazil uh, especially, and their movement to grow, you know, expand soybean production and such. Um, and we may see that as this goes on in the uh, length of time. Uh, Brazil, there may be the, uh, you know, the incentive to expand production even more there uh, and take a bigger share of the China market that uh, we currently have in selling especially soybeans. So, um, time is uh, not our friend on this, Uh, the longer these go on. uh, We could see those kinds of reactions, hopefully this will get resolved and uh, we'll be able to get back uh, the market share that we're used to having with China.
1: What are you hearing on Japan?
6: Well, Japan is, uh, that was interesting news from about two weeks ago after President Trump met with Prime Minister Abe and said that they go ahead on direct U.S.-Japan talks. You know, Japan had been holding out and saying, no, they really wanted the U.S. to rejoin the TPP, but decided, I think, uh, with everything that's going on in the world, that they should go ahead and have direct talks. Um, So, happy, pleased with that. Uh, The statement both sides put out said that Japan at least would start with the uh, kind of a trade relationship on agriculture they had under TPP. And remember that uh, we saw that was very favorable. We thought that of the about $5 billion more in uh, U.S. ag exports under TPP, over $4 billion of that was going to be with Japan. And uh, a lot of that was due to their lower tariffs on meat products, especially beef and pork. Uh, they were going to, uh, and they have, Continue that within the TPP countries, but they said they'll do it with the U.S. Uh, reducing their import tariff on uh, beef from 38 percent down to 9 percent over a period of years. Similar uh, good reductions in uh, tariffs on pork and other products. So, you know, that's a that's putting that as a starting place. That's a good place to start. Uh, there's always issues that come up in negotiations. Um, you know, we can see we'd. Uh, there's always things that we want to make sure we're catching up with where the other countries are. Some other countries have made trade deals with Japan in the interim uh, year or two here. We want to make sure we don't fall behind. But it's a good start, and we hope we can, uh, again, talks that uh, really can only begin after the administration sends up a 90-day notice to Congress. That hasn't happened yet, so something we look forward to uh, hopefully getting started sometime early next year. And um, given where we were, um, again, I'm sure there's other issues that have been discussed, but hopefully these talks can also move along fairly briskly.
1: A lot of moving parts when it comes to trade. Thanks a lot for being with us, Dave, and uh, giving us a look at the landscape. We appreciate it.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, so, of course, today uh, expecting the announcement from the White House about starting the process towards allowing E15 sales year-round and again uh, that is a process Uh, the president directing the epa to start that process so it's not a done deal with an announcement today or tomorrow in iowa but it, it gets the the ball rolling and we'll see how far it rolls and how smoothly it rolls obviously there will be opposition and challenges to it along the way what kind of a market impact does that have if it goes through Some say not that much. Others say significant. Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it sends a signal. All kinds of ways of looking at it. We'll talk about the market aspect with Steve Nicholson with Bravo. That's coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
3: We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
4: So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide. When you see how little they cost, discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand.
1: Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903, 1-800-318-7903. Call now.
3: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Devorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, the hard
6: part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1 800 489 7204. 1 800 489 7204. That's 1 800 489 7204.
5: 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida.
6: Licensed at management service provider, Vermont and New York banking departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM 80031. Do
4: you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
5: Powerful threat Calls for a greater response When there's a battle Bring strength When there's a problem Seek answers When there is doubt Give hope Not tomorrow Not in a few years but
6: right now. Some battles must be faced together.
3: The cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more.
8: Together, we can save lives.
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, obviously E15 will not be the only big announcement today from the White House. Uh, Breaking news that UN ambassador Nikki Haley is resigning. So that will be uh, dominating much of the the news cycle today. But from an agricultural standpoint, the announcement of uh, the start of the process to make E15 sales year-round uh, will be the big one of the big ag stories, and let's talk about that with uh, grain analyst with Bravo, Steve Nicholson. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, and again, this. This announcement doesn't make it start happening next summer. It starts the process. We'll see if it gets done by next summer. Hopefully it will. But how much of a market impact does this really have? I mean, I've seen this debated. Some say not so much. Others say significantly, especially from a psychological standpoint, sending a signal. Uh, how do the markets view it?
8: Good morning, Mike. Good to join you. Well, I, you know, I think I have. There's a whole bunch of things around this, and I think you've outlined, you know, some of the issues right up front. And I have to tell you a story to start off about E15. This summer, I was in Iowa, so you know, the, the hub of ethanol, and I had a farmer who came, who said in in a public group, and he knew the answer to the question before he answered. He said, "Do we have enough corn to produce E15?" And I said, "You know, the answer to that is absolutely no. We don't, um, and we would, we don't have enough corn to do 100% E15 around the country." And so I think you know, we have to kind of put this in context of what, what can we do and what can't we do. And I and I think, and what this announcement is, is that, you know, this is a political announcement in that this is something that the ethanol, um, we'll just call it the lobby, has asked for and wanted for years and years and years. And so, you know, I think that, you know, they're now saying, you know, we finally got what we've been lobbying for and, and you know, we've done our job. The president, on the other hand, is, you know, is doing everything they can to try to reach out to producers, you know, and, you know, we're 30 days less from, a, from an election, um, trying to show that they're trying to help producers and, and trying to, you know, kind of, what shall I say, um, cover the wound of the trade issues when we, come, when we talk about soybeans. So I, I think that's part of the issue there as well. I do think you're right in that psychologically this is important to the market. This is a, you know, the market's going, whew, boy, we got more demand coming down the road. But I think there's a lot of hurdles we have to get over uh, before we get to the point where you and I are filling our tanks up every day with E15. As you well know, in in the the heart of the corn belt here, you can get E15 um, at you know it, get gas stations and use it, and and it's not a big deal. It's there and it can be used. But I think you know to get it into the system overall, I think is going to take some time. You know we're a ways away from that happening. I would believe um, you know there's obviously always the challenges of you know, educating the public about is E15 safe for my my auto? Can you get the auto industry on board with that? And then can you get <clears throat> that infrastructure if you have it switch from E10 to E15? Um, that's not going to happen overnight as well. So I think there are some things here that have to be worked on, and I I think we have to kind of think about this in steps and what you know what created all this in the first place. But I, yeah. you know, it is certainly positive for the corn market long term. You know, short term here is we still have a lot of corn, and you know, they're in Illinois. Boy, the yields are huge.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of steps to this. I mean, if this goes yeah. through, it just allows E15 sales. That doesn't mean E15s in all the gasoline. It just means it becomes right. an option. Now, That's yeah, right. the renewable fuels industry is hopeful that someday E15 is in all the gas, like like yeah. E10 is is now. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of steps that have to be uh, taken here as we watch that so when when you look at um, the psychological part of this though I, that's one thing i think it sends a positive signal perhaps to retailers uh... uh to to uh, go ahead and make the infrastructure changes to sell sure. e-15 at their stations now another part of this evidently will be restrictions on trading biofuel credits the rins uh, how do you see that impacting things?
8: yeah you know i have to tell you it's a little confusing as to what that's going to do i mean it you know the RINs are an extremely important part, or of the whole biofuel, um, the RFS, and so we need we need that REN market to to work, and so that it creates incentives for people to produce ethanol, incentives for people to sell ethanol, and and so I think that needs to be worked out because it does, you know, it, it can provide a disincentive to produce ethanol or blend ethanol if the RIN value is not there for people to gain, and I. I, I worry about that, and, and I tell you what—I've read a lot about RINs lately. I'm still reading about RINs a lot, you know, to understand that whole process. And I'll tell you what—it's extremely complex, and I don't think the market's completely figured that out.
1: Yeah, I, if you figure if that you out, one, explain it to me, would you? Because I—I I still struggle with it.
8: Yeah, I mean, and it's—it's and and it's a great question, and we can come back. I think that maybe we could probably spend a whole segment on RINs, and I—we'll I come back and talk about that, but. You know, it is a little confusing as to when rins can be used and when they can't be used, and what you're going to get them for them, what you're not going to get them for them, and who does that. And and I think part of the the rin situation right now has to do with these waivers. About you know, is that if you get a waiver, you not only get a chance to get out of you know producing blending ethanol, excuse me, not producing but blending ethanol, but then you also get any rins that you've retained um, from the blending, you get to sell, and so you get kind of a I'm going to call it a double dip, and there will be some people who don't like that term. But you not only get to save the money from not blending, but you also get to take that money from the RINs you have and sell that. And so you've got the market on RINs, you know, a little depressed because of that. Um, and now you throw this in here, and it's like, ooh, we got to think about how that's going to all come together. But, yeah, I think that's a whole other discussion. I, I do want to say one thing about the corn market. You know, this, this has been a well-telegraphed announcement coming out today from the president in Iowa about E15. You know, the market's down a penny. It's, you know, people would say maybe it's unchanged, and that's, that's probably fair. Um, so I think this has been a well-telegraphed announcement. Uh, we'll see what tomorrow's market brings. But, you know, we've had this E15 um, dance on and off for quite some time. So I, I think a lot of this, in the sense of this announcement's coming, you know, has been kind of worked into the market. It's now the implementation process and, you know, always that question of the devil's in the details and how does that all work out.
1: Yeah, we'll wait for those, that's for sure, and see how much <laughs> yeah. has already been factored in. Hey, uh, we'll get together again soon, and we'll talk about the, the harvest numbers and impact on the markets, how they're uh, uh, you know, uh, accepting that or how much they already figured in. We'll, we'll get into all that next time, okay?
8: Okay, that would be great. Thank you, Mike.
1: Take care. Steve Nicholson, grain and oilseeds analyst for Rabo. All right, tomorrow we'll have much more on the E15 announcement. We'll not only go over what's in the announcement and reaction to it, but some analysis of it as well, just what are the impacts moving forward, and, of course, much more on trade and other issues as well. So I hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Thanks for being with us today on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.